What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Friday, April 28th, we have the second to last episode here of the Top 100 Breakdown. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen. It's the call-up. We have 25 to 10 here, 25 to 11 here that we're going to go through, and then we'll save the top 10 for the final episode where it'll be a little bit longer on each player. Uh, Jack, before we get into this 25 to, to 10 or 11, whatever, whatever we're going to do there. Uh, you had a couple awesome opportunities here to one, see Gavin Williams, triple a debut Cleveland guardians, right-handed pitching prospect was awesome. I got to watch that, got to listen to you. Uh, so it was a cool little combination there. And then uh, you've got to see some, some awesome things going on so far in triple a Matt McClain has been red hot. We're going to talk a little bit about that. James Outman has been the best player on planet earth, which is hilarious because I gave you crap for picking him so early in our redraft that we did before the season. Uh, but Jack floor is yours on Gavin Williams, triple a debut that you got to uh, be front and center for and call. Well, first for the YouTube crowd, I thought you were going to make fun of me for my setup. Now I've got a headset. I may sound a little different. I'm at the ballpark. Like typically I do it from home with my blue mic, with my Yeti. Um, But I was at a lunch for the Parks and Rec Foundation of Indianapolis. Um, I saw Mayor Joe Hogsett speak. They make you do some crazy stuff. No, I mean, I, I volunteered to go. They said, hey, we have an open seat. I was like, I'll, I'll do something for a free lunch. And it was pretty cool. It was the Parks Foundation. So, um, no, I'm in the ballpark. Gives me a chance to show off the Bob Carpenter scorebook, which is pretty oh, yeah. cool. So I pulled up uh, a Mason Wynn two-hole Memphis Redbirds lineup. Memphis, by the way, I think won 15 of their last 16. Ooh. Utterly incredible what they're doing. Um, but, yeah, man, Gavin Williams yesterday morning. It was at 11 a.m. first pitch. Um, <laughs> it was fun. I sent you a text. It's like, hey, Gavin, welcome to AAA ball here in the International League. You play at 11 a.m. on in Indianapolis for your AAA debut, which is just insane. But you know what? He, he looked like he woke up at 730 in the morning and was like ready to rock. Yeah, um, it was a matchup that looked great on paper. Gavin Williams and Quinn Priester and Quinn has struggled a little bit. Quinn, by the way, might I tell you passes the makeup test with flying colors i've got See, that chance that's, to- that's the report by ever i've never seen someone's makeup highlighted more than than quinn priesters in the most positive way possible it's awesome i've interacted with him a couple of times now at the, at the start of the season and like i walked away 
wowed. I was like, that guy smiles. He laughs. He's willing to talk about anything. We talked about the Grateful Dead, dude. I love pitchers that can talk about listening to the Grateful Dead based off of his sister's recommendations. So, yeah, Quinn Priester passes the makeup test with flying colors, but it was Priester and Gavin Williams at 11 a.m. on a Thursday. And I was thinking, okay, this game has the makings to go really quickly scoreless through four like both those guys looked excellent and then priester struggled top five but gavin williams finished the job i think he was five and two-thirds shutout ball um and the first guy out of the pen stranded two for him so scoreless in his first triple a start he was so impressive man and like obviously we've talked about fastball slider and i think we may we already talked about gavin um but Fastball slider, really impressive. He was in the mid-90s. It was cold. Like, I didn't see him get up to 98, 99. I know he can on, like, a warm day. That makes a lot of sense. Slider was excellent. I saw you clipped a couple of uncomfortable swings by Indians hitters. The thing that jumped out to me most was, for the most part, he's been a two-pitch guy so far this year. He threw that curveball a lot. And I know that curveball was sitting in the mid to high 70s in double in his first couple of starts in Akron. That thing was like 73 to 74. And it was a perfect third look off of a mid 90s high spin fastball played well top of the zone. A great slider in the mid to high 80s. He would loop in 74 and it has a ton of vertical drop. I mean, that thing is like from a big body looked pretty 12, six ish or 11, five ish. I'm all in on what Gavin Williams is selling, man. I, I think that guy's a, a future star. And and it's annoying because Gavin Williams comes up to triple because Tanner Bybee goes up to the majors, who was even better at the big leagues with his big league debut. Uh, I mean, Bybee was absolutely awesome up there. So congratulations to him. Uh, but when you look at Gavin Williams, you talk about the pitch breakdown. He threw 44 fastballs. He threw 25 sliders. He threw 12 curveballs and seven changeups. And, uh, you know, he's still in the process of finding the feel for that pitch. I love to hear what you said about the the, the curveball looking good because I have more faith in that pitch being the definitive third offering for him. Uh, but I think it almost breaks so much that he's struggling to locate it. Even in that outing, I think he threw 12 of them and seven of them were for a ball, but they were effective balls, right? It was that, that drop out of the zone. And, you know, if guys take it, that's a good take. But at least it's something that they have to think about. And I think that's all he's looking for. What I love about Williams in that first start is I see a guy that's trying to make it to the big leagues. I think when he got promoted to triple, I'm, I'm assuming the Guardian said, hey, you got to have a little bit more of a feel for that third pitch. And if you do, you know, if you find a third pitch that you throw a bit more, if you throw that change in curve a little more frequently, we'll bring you up. And I think that's what there was a concerted effort to do because the first few starts, it was so fastball slider heavy. And those pitches, we already know those are going to play. We already know he's going to get big league outs with that. But the difference between being more of a middle of the rotation guy and potentially a, a two, um, I think is that feel for a third pitch. Otherwise, you got to be so otherworldly perfect with the fastball slider. We talked about Strider. Williams slider, I think, is is elite. Fastball is really good. I don't think it's good enough to be that two-pitch guy. It's not Christian Javier. It's not Spencer Strider. It's good. It's a plus fastball, but it's yeah. not a 70 fastball. And I think it's got to be 270 pitches if you're going to be fastball slider guy. Yes, for sure. Um, I'm looking at the data right now, and and it's pretty interesting. So we have there's like a shortcut that's a little too complex to walk you through on a podcast right now to get the the baseball savant game feed for AAA games. 
so I can get it for international league games and, and PCL games. <clears throat> so I can pull up Gavin's game feed right now. And it's not some backend data that like I need a username and password to. Um, and if, you know, we do want to walk somebody through like how to access this. I can look at Gavin Williams in the same way that you can look at a pitcher on baseball savant, yeah. but just pulling up like his baseball savant game feed from yesterday. Spin is interesting. Um, the velos are interesting too, but I, I love the point you make there where I don't know if the fastball slider tandem is good enough to get through a start in an elite start like a Javier or a strider because yeah. Christian Javier, if you look at the fastball in a vacuum, it's one of the best four-seam fastballs in baseball. Yeah. If you look at the slider in a vacuum, it's one of the best sliders in baseball. Strider, same deal. That slider like might be the best slider in baseball, aside from Otani Sweeper. So, so you, you know, you look at those two guys, they have two elite of the elite offerings. Gavin Williams has two excellent offerings, mm -hmm. but not elite of the elite. So yeah. just running you through his game feed, Gavin Williams threw 89 pitches. 40 fastballs. They sat 95. He topped at 97.9. It was 2100 RPMs, which is weird. Like that feels like a misread. Um, you may have different data, but this is what Savant's spitting out. Yeah, today. what I've got, he's generally sitting around 2250. Yeah, um, so he was 2130 yesterday. It might have just been cold. Like he might have been spinning it better in Akron. Yeah. Uh, slider, he threw 23 sliders. He sat 84 there. He sat at about 2200 RPMs. Um, curveball, he threw 13 curveballs and then 10 sinkers, pitches that profiled his sinkers at 2100. He sat 92 there, but the curveball sat 73.7 and was a 2200 RPM pitch as well. So pretty interesting that, that he was doing that. And if I've got the, the strike count on this, um, let's see, he threw 13 curveballs, 31% of them fell into the strike zone. Yeah. I'm not sure the amount of that, but that is pretty low. Um, yeah. We'll tell you though, that that pitch was a great taste breaker felt very Rodon. Curveball -esque. And it's all it needs to be. It's all it needs to be. So, I mean, Gavin, Gavin Williams is a special pitching prospect, but to that point, like we were talking about how we have him ahead of Bybee. <laughs> if, if I did it over again, there's, there's a chance he, I think Bybee would be ahead of him. That said, both very, very good. Both have looked very, very, very talented in their respective debuts. Williams and triple Bybee at the big league level. And I think Williams is a handful of starts away from proving that he's ready for the big leagues. I, again, I think it's that third pitch. It's a little bit more fastball consistency, uh, but you saw a pretty awesome debut there. Before we get to Ezekiel Tovar at 25, who's technically graduated, but we wanted to go through the top 100 list and then we will update it with the graduations and the new players in who will always highlight you know, when some when something's changed in the top 100, obviously we won't go through the whole list again until we do the whole midseason update. But uh, there will be plenty of newcomers because we'll have a handful of guys graduated by the time we finish You know, the, the final episode here. Uh, but Matt McClain has been unbelievable. Uh, his stretch has been insane because when, when you saw him, you saw him on kind of a bad stretch. Uh, all of a sudden he's put it all together. And, and I think he's somebody that needs to be called up relatively soon going over his like most recent stretch, which this Louisville bats team, that's gotta be the, the one team in, in the minor leagues right now. If I'm a pitcher, I don't want to face point blank period. Christian Encarnacion strand had five hits the other night. Ellie de la Cruz is all the way back. Looks alive. Uh, they sent Will Benson down there. He's no slouch, obviously. And then Matt McClain has been a machine. Uh, you go over his last eight games, 462, 622, 769. He's 12 for his last 26 with seven strikeouts and 10 walks. He's walking a ton. He's patient. 
The approach is worked out. I was talking about why I thought the approach was just, it was almost too passive. Now he's patient. He's, he's towing the line properly now. Um, the power is there. It's impossible to deny the power. He's hitting the ball in the air more. Um, above average exit velocities. He's playing a little bit all over. I, I think he he reminds me a lot of Chris Taylor of a couple years ago with the skill set. He's going to whiff a little bit. You're going to have to pallet that, but he's going to hedge it with walks. He's fast. He can play all over, and he has kind of this frame-defying power. Um, Matt McClain should get the call up soon. Just wanted to highlight him. And then I wanted to just – we haven't talked about James Outman uh, since we really just highlighted him as the 80-whatever-ranked prospect. You took James Outman. I don't know exactly how early, but I thought it was comically early in our uh, you know redraft that we did. That would have been the 2018 redraft or the 2019 redraft? 2018 with Taylor Davis. Um, you guys, I think TD really appreciated that I took Outman because I think he's seen how impressive that guy is. You were like, come on, man, because, I mean, he's he's 25 years old yeah. at the time, right? He's about to turn 26. But, um, yeah, it was like – I think it was near the end of the 2018 redraft. I think it was in the mid-20s. And you were like, ah, I mean, yes, I see it. But I think that there are better guys on the board. Doesn't yeah. look like there are many better guys on the no. board than James Outman. No, point blank, there are there are not very many better guys on the board I, I, so far. Uh, the question is, does it continue? I think it would be silly to just say no, it won't. Another guy that's going to whiff, but the speed, the power, the approach, the, the the gamerism in him, like just the way he plays the game, uh, this guy's going to be a, a piece. Uh, and I think that's very clear. So I wanted to just, you know give you the hat tip there like i because people there's people that have probably listened to every episode since then or at least listened to that one or listening to this one they're probably like oh Zara, i'm just gonna pretend that never happened uh jack's been so respectful hasn't brought it up uh but no dude it's really cool to see a story like james outman the dodgers need him so badly with the struggles of david peralta who you know was supposed to be that left-handed outfield bat and he's been really special so it's funny that he's in the back half of the top 100 and we were some of the only ones to even have him as a top 100 prospect going into this year. And he's exceeded our expectations too, I would say, especially mine. But I'd still say even you, the high guy on James Outman, did not expect this. No, man, I saw a 24-year-old in high A, and I was like, I like him. <laughs> like, I'm going to stamp him as mine. But, you know, you, you never do that with 24-year-olds in high A. He's exceptional, and, and he is – I think he proved that he was the exception to the rule – uh, when he was in high A, like, hey, this guy is above the average age of the hitter in the Midwest League. But yeah. um, usually those guys are immediately thrown to the wayside. Yeah, I, I do think we use age as a negator a little bit too much. Too much. And I think the Dodgers are kind of the best example of prospects that can transcend the age limitations. So, like... Mm -hmm. Ryan Noto was a rule five pick and Ryan Noto was a big leaguer in 2022 on pretty much every other team in baseball, aside from the LA Dodgers. Noto was above average, older than the average age of hitters at every level that he was at. Thing was, he was always hitting at a high clip. Ryan Ward is kind of this year's Ryan Noto, right? Last year of control. And you think Ward may be a rule five pickup. Um, I, I think Outman kind of fell into that. Yeah, right when I hopped on, <laughs> right when I hopped on the Zoom, you were like, "We got to do a couple of I told you so's." Like, I got to tell you so on McLean, and and you got to tell me so on Outman. Um, McLean, I will, I will wear the L, even though I like, I don't think I'm 
I don't think I said that I was out. No, I you didn't I said, say you were out on him. Yeah, just out. underwhelming week. But like yeah. Joey Votto struck out a billion times that week, and Ellie and CES were on were on the mend. Like I didn't see them play, so it was a weird week for Louisville. Um, it was a weird week for McLean. It's great to see that he bounced back. Um, I I felt like I was objectifying James Outman a couple weeks ago when I said that that dude is tooled up. Because that's what he is, man. Like, he's got insane speed. He's got insane pop. The glove is crazy. Um, and, yeah, there were a lot of things that James Altman is doing now with the L.A. Dodgers that I didn't have on my bingo card. Like, being one of the best war accumulators in baseball, not on my bingo card. Being one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball, I did not have that on my bingo card. But we knew that that was in there on his best day. Just turns yeah. out his best day has been replicated time yeah. and time again through the first month. And that's the name of the game, man. That, that is the name of the game. Can I walk you through the best lineup in minor league baseball right now real quick before we jump in? Sure. Yeah. Jordan Walker got optioned to Memphis. Yeah. I think we've already talked about this Memphis lineup. Let me let me walk you through this. With a Matthew Liberator start, you've got Liberator on the mound. You've got Yvonne Herrera catching. Luke and Baker is hitting the crap out of the ball at first base. You can slap whoever you want at second base. Kramer Robertson, sure. Mason win at short. Jordan Walker in right. Let's put him in right. Um, you can put Moises Gomez as the DH. You can have Juan Yepes in left. You can have Oscar Mercado in center. Like it's a That's, joke. Them and the Louisville like. Bats. I would I would I would pay a lot of money to watch those two just play each other like every single day. <laughs> I would, I would, I'd love to just watch that. That's fun. I love that. That's a, that's a good lineup. And and we're, we talked about Jordan Walker a lot on the Just Baseball show. We'll talk about that more because we want to get into you know the, the rest of this uh, 25 to 11 here on the top 100. But I think on, on Monday or Tuesday's episode, we'll talk about you know the, the full scope of the Jordan Walker situation because we had some really good conversation about that on the Just Baseball show. And, and if you want to hear that now, definitely go check that out on the most recent episode. But we will unpack that more from a prospect lens on Monday or Tuesday as well. So look out for that. But let's hop into 25 here, which is Ezekiel Tovar, a very, very, very talented prospect. Um, but man, has it been a rough start for him? This was one of my dark horse rookie of the year picks because I figured he's going to play every day. He's going to play short and he's going to play at course. That said, when you really zoom out and look at the way that he has been handled, uh, look at the way that he has been fast tracked to the major leagues and just kind of th- the whole process here in general with Ezekiel Tovar. It's, it's pretty interesting, Jack. He is barely played above double a five games in triple in 2022 then got hurt and and other than that that that's really it this is a guy that just really hasn't played that many professional games period he, he was broken in 2018 35 games at the rookie level uh then 17 more games at the or sorry excuse me 18 more games at the rookie level in 2019 before finishing the year in short season then in 2021 low a high a of course he put up great numbers at that point in low A, that was the first time he really kind of started to put it all together offensively. Then 2022 was his coming out party. He goes nuts and double for 66 games, gets hurt, comes back at the very end, plays five games in triple, and then gets a call up for nine games at the big league level, struggles there. I would have felt like that would have been the prime time to start him in triple this year. Um, hindsight's 2020. I obviously was very pumped about him being on the big league roster. His makeup is off the charts. He's a really good defender. Uh, The bat obviously 
was very impressive in Hartford and in a short sample size in triple. But it just feels like that this guy was rushed, rushed, rushed. And uh, I think they're learning that now with with where he's at, uh, hitting 192 through 23 big league games, the 32% carry. That's not who Tovar is. No, it's not who Tovar is at all. But might I just negate like this was the year for him to start and triple and then get up? I think that we were saying that about Jordan Walker. We weren't saying that about Tovar. And that could have just been like us being biased last year when the Rockies called him up at the tail end of the year. But we were so excited when the Rockies called up Ezekiel Tovar. We were like, yes, there we go. Like they're they're immediately showing signs of the future. We were cool with that. I think that we were all in February and March sold on Tovar being the opening day shortstop for the Colorado Rockies. It would be hard for me to accept us going back on our word there because we were so excited for what's happening. Problem is, it's just been a really terrible start for him. Yeah. So I would say, you know, you think you bring up a good point there. And I think it's it's almost one of those scenarios where it's like, let's say we're the we're the Rockies front office. I'm I'm standing by like I think I would have done the same thing. But you also have to reflect back and say, were we wrong? And probably I, I think we yes. were wrong to be excited about it. And I think the Rockies might have been wrong to do it. But like we weren't wrong to be excited about it. You know what I mean? We were we were wrong in assuming that he was ready to never that, come back down. That's basically what I mean. Yeah. So like we were probably wrong to think that he could do it right away because like, this is a dude that just looks really overmatched. Yeah, but it's so hard to swallow because he looks so like seasoned he looks like such a vet when he's i mean I'm, I'm, he's the 25th ranked prospect so like, let's talk about why he's the 25th ranked prospect. yeah yeah above average field to hit fantastic defender sneaky pop and the ability to run on the base paths and and that's what really stood out to me too and then again i've talked about this on the pod like a couple of his teammates i've been able to talk to you know in hartford said that this was one of the most advanced players in terms of the, the mental approach too, which is why I think the Rockies called him up. Yeah. Um, just the way he carried himself as a 20 year old, um, even was one of the only Spanish speakers on the team and made an effort to, you know, learn English and, and interact with, which is rare to be on a minor league team where you're one of the only Spanish speakers, but it was just the way it shook out in double a Hartford. And that was a specific anecdote that I got was like, he made such an effort to, get to know everybody and, and communicate though. His, his English wasn't great as a 20 year old who just came over a few years ago. Um, so like all of those reasons, I think were why that the, the Rockies wanted to bring him up. And I, 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 I'm glad that the Rockies aren't sending him down at this point. You might as well just let him ride it out. Right. Like just let it go. Um, he's starting to show some signs of life. The last few games, he's been swinging it a little bit better, um, but it's starting to like impact him in the field a little bit. He hasn't been as impactful as, uh, of a defender. In the, in the early going, and this is the thing that watching the video, he is he will be a plus defender that I think could compete for gold gloves. And it's important to also note he's 21 years old. So I'm not worried about him at all. It's just an interesting detour in the in the progression here. And I think if you could do it over, you'd probably start him in triple is kind of what my point is, right? Because then he would ease his way up and then he wouldn't have all of these growing pains because these are pretty extreme growing pains. Yeah, and I'm totally with you. I think now that we are at this point in Ezekiel Tovar, I am fine stomaching the rest of the slow start. Yeah, to his now just, career. just let it go the rest of the year. Just, just, yeah. just, just go. 
Because again, this guy helps you out in so many other ways that aren't just in the batter's box. You mentioned like this guy's a gold glove caliber shortstop. That's who Ezekiel Tovar is, man. Like on his worst day, he's speed and defense. Speed don't slump. Defense don't slump. Like that's how that works, man. So we have to remember that this guy well below the average age of double A and triple A hitters had 14 homers last year in the minor leagues and was 17 for 20 in the stolen base department. Like he is a nice blend of enough pop and good speed along with that excellent, excellent glove that he has. And that innate feel to play shortstop. This guy's going to be a big league shortstop for a long time. Unfortunately, the first chapter just isn't the best for, him. you know, it's a little reminiscent of like see the CJ Abrams situation for Another sure. Rush to the big leagues. Uh, we talked about it too. I loved that Abrams was up. And then I was like, wait, maybe he should have played a little bit more in the minors. And again, that's like, the, it's the game that we play. It's, it's hindsight is, is a, you know what? And like, we, I, I think front offices are thinking about it and they're like, oh, maybe we should have done that. And like, that's kind of the way that things go. But at the same time, Abrams, another high makeup guy, demolished through stretches in the minor leagues. And, and had the glove to, that improved so much to, you know, get put him out there, see what he can do in game-changing speed. He's on a bad Nationals team, has the opportunity to play every day where it doesn't really matter and get better and better and better. Just hit a big grand slam the other night. Like these little quick. breakthrough moments, the glove is really making strides. Yeah. I think it's a similar situation to Tovar. Just let him go. <laughs> let him go. Let him struggle. At this point, um, you're not playing for much. He's going to learn. Um and it's not going to get any worse. So I, I, I'm still, I'm still looking at all-star upside of Ezekiel Tovar. My perspective on him has not changed whatsoever. I just think that where I feel like I was wrong was where he was at maybe in his progression. Because if you go back and look super aggressive chase rates, uh, the approach wasn't totally there. Uh, and I think it was a little bit, uh, a little bullish to think that that wouldn't trickle into the big leagues a little bit when you're chasing at about a 40% clip. In the minors. Yeah. Well, welcome to baseball where it is the what have you done for me lately game. And like we're talking about this guy, like he's damaged goods 32 games into his big league career. No. We think this guy's going to play 1500 games at the major league level. No, right? I, I think he's going to be a, a multi all star with with big time impact on both sides of the baseball. I still That's believe the that. Thing. Do not panic about this guy. He is the best of the bunch when it comes to the Colorado Rockies future. And there are some excellent pieces to the Colorado Rockies I'm, future that we've already talked about. Yeah, not very concerned at all. I'd still say minimally concerned yeah. to, to put it that way. Yeah. Number 24, Brandon Fott, right-handed pitching prospect, Arizona Diamondbacks. And for those watching on YouTube, you got a nice little clip here of Fott spinning his nasty slider. Fott's got great stuff across the board. Uh, last year was really his coming out party. 6'4", 210, right-hander, above average fastball, plus slider, above average changeup, plus command, and, and a usable curveball. This guy had a crazy year last year, led the minors in strikeouts. We've talked about him a lot. I think he's next up to you know get that promotion to the big leagues and make a difference for a competitive Arizona Diamondbacks ball club. I'm kind of, I think they're kind of waiting for him to string together a few more impactful starts. Uh, it just seems like every time you're, you're like, oh, he's got it. Then he takes a slight step back. Again, he's pitching in the PCL, but he went out and two starts ago, seven innings, three hits, uh, no runs, one walk, eight Ks. I'm like, oh, maybe if he follows this up with one more, he might be up. Goes, pitches against Sugarland, five innings, seven hits, three runs, two walks, five Ks. Not a bad outing, but. 
you know, not not exactly what gets you promoted immediately. So I don't know if it's a start to start thing. I don't know if they're waiting for something. They obviously had Tommy Henry up there. They've sent Trey Jameson back down. It's been interesting to see how they've been handling it. Obviously, DFA mad bum. I'd like to see Fott work through things at the big league level. I, I think he's proven to us that he's very, very good. He's going to continue to turn out very solid, either an okay to good start or a, the occasional really great start in a league that's miserable to pitch in. I, I just don't really want to see him pitch in AAA anymore. It's it's just that simple. I, I don't think he has much else to prove other than consistency, and why not prove that at the big league level? He can help them now. That's the thing. This guy is big league ready, and, and I love the point you bring up where – you know, when, when it falls apart, quote unquote, it doesn't really fall apart. Like his bad outings are fine outings. And in Amarillo and Reno, that's an incredibly impressive feat to not have blow up outings. I look at what he's done since the start of 2022. This guy is punching out about 11 guys per nine. He's walking fewer than two per nine. Yeah. That's what you can control in those unbelievable environments right like sometimes the hits are going to pile up because like end of the bat dinkers are going to sail over a shortstop's head and they're going to drop into shallow left or a ball that would be a fly out in florida or in north carolina or in georgia is leaving the yard and it's going 430 feet in in nevada um thought is so impressive in that regard so far this year 25 and a third innings 30 punch outs six walks I'm going to pallet that. And I think that that is big league ready. Having that confidence at the AAA level, being as young as he is, I I think that this guy is ready to iron out the kinks with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's a fly ball pitcher in the PCL that has had pretty consistent. It's going to happen, man. Yeah. 38% ground ball rate, which is is crazy to to, to have success there uh, despite that. This is a dude that if he goes up to the big league level, I think he'll actually be better. Uh, So I'm really hoping that they do that soon uh, because I think he's more than earned it. And I think it's coming because we're we're seeing teams with some urgency. I think the Diamondbacks have some urgency. They want to win. DFAing Mad Bum was was that message. But instead of Tommy Henry, why why don't we get Brandon Fott in there? They're a first place team as of time of recording, I think. Are they? I love to hear that. That's I think a lot so. Of fun. Oh, it's, it's, it looks like it's struggling big leaguer time because we go to number 23. Tristan Casas, first baseman, Boston Red Sox. He's a, gra- a graduated guy as well, but obviously ahead of the season, someone that we had ranked up there first couple weeks of the season, someone that we were going to have ranked up there. He's Every time he shows some signs of life, it seems to go right back a little bit too. Uh, this dude's approach is great. He also toes that like passive versus patient line. We see the flashes of insane power, but through 24 games, he's sitting 139, 284, 306, 65 WRC plus. It just hasn't been there for him yet. Another dude that's been banged up and lost at bats through the minor leagues. So you got to be patient. I I know Red Sox fans are going to hate this, but I, I think that the Red Sox are in a position where they should let their young guy work through issues because they don't have that much to play for. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I just, just the reality for me, like you're going to DFA him. Let's say not yet. Excuse me. You're going to send him down, option him and, you know, stick somebody else at first that might be marginally better. Like they're not going to do that. So I, I like that Casas is going to get everyday opportunities to work through this, but as a guy that I had a 55 hit tool on, it hasn't looked that way yet. But I'm not too concerned about Casas. I will say I'm slightly more concerned about Casas than Tovar for what that's worth. Yes. Um, I'm going to point to one number. Tell me if this is valid or not. 
Um, he had a 208 BABIP last year. So far this year, he's hitting a buck 39. He's got a 159 batting average on balls in play. Yeah, that's I mean, that's brutal. And like we know that BABIP, some of it is luck. Um, obviously, y- you look at the EVs and like how hard is he hitting the ball? Is he hitting the ball on the ground or in the air? This guy's like average exit velocity right now is over 90 miles an hour. So that's yeah. not a concerning number. I, I'm not sure why, because I look at the ground ball rate. The ground ball rate is palatable. The the line drive rate is pretty good, but he's got a 159 Babbitt. Like, how does that fix time? I'm not sure. That's 140 points lower than league average. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting case, and honestly, one that I'd have to, to dive a little bit more into. I mean, you look at the ex-WOBA, you know, which is the ex- expected weighted on base average, still relatively low, so... It's interesting because he's hitting the ball hard, but then still doing pretty poorly in regards to the uh, the overall batting average on balls in play. It's a really bizarre case and one that I'd have to dive further into. I think there's merit to it, though, to answer your question. Uh, but at the same with that same notion, he's just not putting the ball in play enough. Uh, just the ball in play rate, which is an important stat. I, sure. I know you, even if you're a power walk guy. You got to put the ball in play more than 12. I mean, he's caying 30% of the time. Yeah. And then walking the other 17%. So obviously if your home runs, if your three true outcomes, you're going to have a low BABIP. And if you hit the ball in the air a lot, you're going to have a low BABIP. He hits the ball in the air a ton. He has a 32% ground ball rate this year. I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. But you're going to have to produce more if you're a low Babbitt guy. Anthony Rizzo, I think, is a perfect example of this. Like Rizzo gets his. He's going to go yard enough. He's going to walk. He's going to strike out a little bit at this stage of his career, 22% K rate. And he's routinely been a low BABIP guy. 224 BABIP last year, and he was a really productive hitter. This year, it's 290. uh, And obviously, he's been a very, very productive hitter. He's been even more productive than last year. So I think it's a little bit of bad bad luck. I think it's a little bit of of just a ton of balls just launched straight up in the air, uh, which will be a high exit velocity, but it's straight up in the air, and it doesn't as a zero expected batting average, essentially. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of it. But the number one thing that's standing out to me with Casas and his struggles is he's just not been great against breaking balls. What he is good at is spinning on them. So he's going to walk a lot. And, and it's interesting. If you look at sliders and curveballs, 360 on base percentage, but he's hitting a buck 74 mm. and he's slugging 304. So he's not even crushing them when, when, when they're mistakes. So you're looking at it from this lens. It's, it's really, if you locate the breaking ball for a strike, you, you can pretty much get him out right now. And yeah. I'm not sure why that is. I'll have to dive more into the swing mechanics and things like that. But right now, that's a surprise for me because he was very good against all types of offerings. He had that spread it out two strike approach where he wasn't really lifting the leg up. It was very simple. And all of a sudden now, he's just really struggling with the breaking balls. And um, he's mostly only getting his you know production from the occasional fastball he runs into, you know, and that's really about it. It's a, it's a bit surprising for me because uh, I would not have expected these kind of struggles with the breaking ball. He's got to do more sunshine on field yoga. Yeah. Is that all that's missing? I think so. I think he's missing. I honestly do think that this might be a warm weather guy, like South Florida guy, yeah. you know, like I, I'm not sure what his minor league numbers look like in April and May, but he's spent April in Boston, Massachusetts when he's from South Florida. Like that's not yeah. easy. And I mean, look, he's a 23 ranked prospect in baseball going into this year. It's going to take more than a bad 24 games for that to change. But he's graduated. Um, <laughs> he's graduated. So 
I would say I'm a little bit more concerned with him than Tovar. Where do you stand? More concerned about Casas or Tovar? I just think that Casas is so bat reliant that when go. both of them are incredibly underwhelming bat wise, like I'm more worried about the bat reliant one. Yeah. And, and I think the thing with Tovar is it's, a, it's really just approach oriented where with Casas, it's like, there's something off there it, with, with the, the breaking balls, but zone contact hasn't been bad overall and he walks. So I think he's going to put it together uh, and I think it'll be just fine, but yeah, you know, might have and to be a little, a little bit more patient than we thought with Casas, who I thought was you know, pretty advanced going in. For sure. And like Tovar, the thing is, Tovar's war is low, is below average, is negative because he has been such a bad hitter. But if this guy's a pretty bad hitter, he can still be a positive war guy. If Casas is an 85 WRC plus guy, he might still be a negative war guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100 percent. 22, Colson Montgomery, shortstop, Chicago White Sox and I think we've yet to see Colson play this year. Still a little banged up. Yeah, Rick Hahn, the GM of the White Sox, said that Colson's dealing with a back thing right now. So uh, it's funny, as Rome crumbles on the south side of Chicago, um, you've got so many White Sox fans just saying, oh, good, like the only prospect that means anything in the organization is, is also injured. So great time to be a White Sox fan, I guess. Even weirder is that he's going to start in high A, um, which is where he should have been all year last year. He started the year. He's a high school draft pick. You know, remember that 22nd overall six, four left-handed hitter who has exciting power projection hit the ground running last year. I know he got his first taste in 2021 at the complex was great there. Then he goes to low A in 2022 dominates through 45 games. It's a 324, 424, 476 slash line, four homers, only a 21% K rate walks 13% of the time. They promote him to high A. The batting average drops a little bit, but in terms of the strikeout to walk, uh, he was even better. Walks equally as much as he strikes out, but he hits 258, 387, 417, five homers. Then Project Birmingham happens. He gets brought up to double A, and in 14 games, he struggles mightily like any high school teenage to 20-year-old draftee would as their fast track to double A for, for really no good reason. I put zero stock in the double A stats. I put a lot of stock in what he did in, in low A and high A. And I put a lot of stock into the flashes that he showed. 6'4", 205, smooth swing, really good control of his body. And even factoring in those, those brutal 14 games in Birmingham, 89% zone contact last year. As a high school guy that was 20 years old, that's pretty damn good, especially with the power that he has. 103 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. And I think he's got room to add a lot more strength. This guy could have plus power and plus hit. Sign me up for that from the left side of the plate. 100%. I think, you know, and I, I can't do the math off off the top of my head right now, but I think if you took away the Project Birmingham disaster, um, he's probably looking at a 290 clip with a 410 OBP and a slug right around 450. That's awesome. Like, that is so good. I don't know if you can. 294, 407, 450. There we go. Like, pretty much spot on there. So you're looking at a 300, 400, 450 guy. Yeah. That's perfect, man. And when I tell tell you, man, like the the power projection there, the moves in the box are super smooth. And he's 6'4", 205. 
it's like a it's like the Corey Seager starter kit in a way. Uh, I'm not again. I'm not comping him to Corey Seager. Left-handed hitting shortstop though, with room to add strength. The power is going to come later, but the field to hit is way ahead of his years. Like you can kind of see some of the similarities there. I do have some questions about the glove. Uh, the, the arms a little short. The actions can can be a little bit spotty. But I think he could play third. He could play second and be an offensive force there. I think he's got a shot to be a solid defensive shortstop against Seager was is a fine shortstop, but the bat's so good that you're okay with it. I do wonder if he thickens out a little bit. If he ends up moving to third, that's fine because the bat will carry there. Um, I just love the upside and what we already have here with almost 90% zone contact and the power potential. This guy could be one of the best offensive you know, forces in the minor leagues very soon. Yeah, so you dream on Seager and you settle on who? I don't know. It's a great question because there's there's a lot of contact. So like, how many how many left handed hitting guys with already above average power, even if it doesn't get to plus, it's above average that make that kind of contact. It's 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 hard to find. It, it is really so. That's why I like the guys that are going to be ranked very high here are the balance of the high floor, high ceiling. Of course, Colson still has a wide range of outcomes as a 6'4 high school shortstop. Yeah. But relative to the profile, it's high floor. And then the ceiling is still crazy, too. Yeah. So, so I, I almost think, you know, like the floor is Ryan McMahon offensive profile, which is cool. Ryan, what, what, what is that offensive profile? It's 250 ish, 20 homers. Yeah. Yes. Right. Bigger lefty third baseman. I don't know. Like the floor is a hard comp, but I love the Corey Seager starter kit comp you make at the top. Yeah. Uh, Colson, like how if you were to place a percentage on how confident you are that he stays at short, what is that percentage? I'd say 50, 50, 50, 60, 40. Yeah. OK, I'll take 60, 40. Like hell, yeah. I'll take 50, 50 for a six, four shortstop. Yeah, it's something right around there. Um, I'd say coin flips probably fair, but I, I have a lot of faith in him just getting better. Like Jackson Merrill stood out to me and we'll, we'll talk about him in the, in the final episode of the way that he was able to get quicker and move and, and improve footwork. Like guys can do that even if they're big. And I think Colson could do that. Yeah. Number 21, a guy that's unfortunately on the shelf right now, but he got a pretty good prognosis and should be back pretty soon. Andy Rodriguez catching prospects, Pittsburgh pirates switch hitter. He was our minor league hitter of the year at just baseball. We've talked about him so much. We don't need to highlight that much. Uh, I, I just, I think this is one of the more dynamic, fun, another high floor, high ceiling guy that is just maybe the ceiling's not as high as a Colson Montgomery, but the floor. Oh my gosh, switch hitter plus hitter already um, with good defense behind the dish and the ability to play the outfield if you need. Um, above average power that he taps into every bit of in game because of his ability to lift the baseball dude's just an awesome prospect yes um i'm not gonna add much stat wise i will tell you that andy is set to come off the aisle in the next couple of days um and you saw the pirates director of sports medicine like say that in a tweet um but he's been here like he's been Active while on the IL and Indy, like I'm watching him out there catching a bullpen right now. So, um, Andy, what I will tell you is this guy has such an infectious energy about him. He is confident in the best ways. Yeah. You don't expect a kid like this to be as confident as he is in AAA, but in the best way, 
I think he knows that he's the man. Like he's still got stuff to figure out, but he's like, you know what? I've worked really hard to get as good at this game as I am. And I enjoy it. Like so much of why I'm good at baseball is because I enjoy playing it. And you can see that he really enjoys playing it. $10,000 international free agent who was dumped for Joey Lucchese. You got to have that chip on your shoulder. He's got, he, he has, he has that positive. He has that chip on his shoulder, but he also knows that he doesn't have much to lose right now. Like yeah. he is, he knows that he has set such a high baseline for himself and he can reach greater heights than his baseline with with effort and he puts that effort in um it's been really fun to watch andy because he has not gotten off to the quote-unquote best start like he's not a, a thousand ops guy like he was last year but what he is doing is showing this like innate feel to be a situational hitter this guy was driving in runs like he was driving in a run every day when he yeah. was healthy so i mean I, I can appreciate a guy while he's hitting like 220 230 still figuring out ways to get runs in and that's his deal. So even when he's not firing on all cylinders offensively, he's doing just enough to help his team win. And that's what you want from a catcher. And what stinks is I feel like when he went down, you could, you could speak to this better than I can, but when he went down, it felt like he was just starting to, to get it rolling. Yeah. It was the first few games they had under his belt and it was very cold, starting to warm up and you'll get the 15th. He had three hits and a home run. Then on the 18th, he had two more hits. And then on, I think it was the day he got hurt on, on the 20th, he had a hit, which was a home run. So he was starting to come alive. Uh, you, you start to see that Andy Rodriguez you know, that we saw last year. And then unfortunately goes down with that injury. So it's good that he's going to be right back. You know, maybe there might be a little bit of a feeling out process after being out for a week. Uh, Baseball is not like riding a bike, but I expect him to get rolling. You mentioned about all those little intangibles, the way he controls his at bats. And with a Pittsburgh Pirates team, that's got some magic going on right now. He could be up there and help them by midseason, I think. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, obviously, you want to see him come off the shelf and and hit the ground running again. But yeah, man, I mean, midseason. You, you mentioned that homer the day before he got hurt. Like that was, he hit what twenty three homers last year. Uh, I think twenty of which were from the left side. He's a natural lefty. He hit three from the right side. That homer the day before he got hurt was from the right side. So if this Ooh. guy like finds the groove as a righty bat and a lefty bat, I think he can absolutely help them before the All Star break. And I still, I really do like the righty swing. It's pretty similar. And he was extremely productive. I, 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 this is a switch. This is a true, true, true plus hitter from both sides of the plate. And you mentioned the lefty side just being a little bit more powerful. He lifts the ball better. But uh, to, to do what he does contact wise from the right side, that's pretty nice to hedge lefty lefty splits uh, sure. when you have a very solid contact hitter on the other side of the plate of yourself, which is, which is just really cool. He's a special talent and he can help them out in a lot of different ways. Uh, if they keep making this run this year, not even 23 yet, not even 23 next up. Gosh, this stinks. Number 20, Logan Ohapi catcher LA angels, man. He was off to such an unbelievably good start and he is so darn good. This was one that you know, we had up there before the season. We had up there last season because at the end of last season, because every metric pointed towards Ohapi being above average on both sides of the baseball. Mid 80s zone contact, uh, above average 90th percentile exit velocity, great chase rates. The, the statistics you cannot deny. He was great before the trade for Brandon Marsh. He was great after. He was even better after the trade for Brandon Marsh. The dude rakes. He was a glove first catching prospect that had it all click offensively. It's above average hit tool to almost plus 
It's above average raw power. It's above average defense. And man, he was off to an unbelievable start. He was when we gave out our picks on the just baseball show. That was my dark horse rookie of the year pick. I was feeling really good about that. And then unfortunately, you know, he tears his labrum on a swing. Similar to what we saw with Josh Young, hoping he can get back maybe at the very, very, very end of the season. Fortunately, not the throwing arm. But that sucks for the Angels, who he was playing an integral part for them. A team that's desperately in win-now mode. And it just it, it stinks to see Logan Ohapi go down. For sure. Um, what I can really appreciate is that guy unlocked a level of slug that I was not expecting at the big league level right away. And really small sample. He's had exactly 75 plate appearances. Uh, in his major league career to this point. Um, but I mean, Ohapi, he was slugging what 550 before he went down in, a, in about 15 games. So if this guy can slug 550, that unlocks a whole new level of Logan Ohapi that I don't think I was expecting. And you kind of expect with 55 game, but, but not like, to that degree that he was putting up 60. 60 power. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if this guy is 60, 60 and he's a slightly above average defensive catcher, I mean, we're looking at a guy that holds down, you know, a big league backstop position for 10, 15 years. Yeah. And even just looking at it now, like I think it was 55 power, like the max exit velocity didn't change, but he was getting to that 90th percentile. Like He was getting to what we he was saw lifting. him. Yeah post a lot more like we, we we saw him get to the the 105s 106s 107s a lot more um which is a testament to you know him finding a way to tap into the power more get the ball in the air more and his 90th percentile small sample size was 106 so not not a big change in max exit velocity but a big change in 90th percentile that jumps like multiple miles per hour small sample but i think that says something um logan ohapi is a special talent Hope, hope he gets back, but he's going to be a good, like you said, a good backstop for 10 to 15 years. Athletic, too. Yeah. Next up, PCA. Pete Crow Armstrong, former guest of the podcast. Hopefully we'll have him on again soon. Uh, this is another dude, Chicago Cubs center fielder, best defender in the minor leagues, as you can see, at least in the outfield, as you can see by the 70 present, 80 future defense in center field. What has stood out to me the most about PCA, though, so far this year, Jack, as he gets accustomed to double a where I thought he would have some growing pains as an aggressive hitter with limited reps overall, because he missed that whole first year of pro ball with the, with a shoulder issue as well. Yeah. The hit tool. <laughs> He's aggressive, but he hits 16 pitch at bat the other day and he hits a grand slam. Um, I can't believe how, how well he has started in double a given how high the chase rates were last year. You know, the contact rates are, are, are fine. They're not great, but it's unbelievable. This dude just hits, and we know the power is above average ultimately, but he's tapping into that a little bit more than I think people expected too. Obviously, we had high hopes given that he was a top 20 prospect for us going into the season, but he's even exceeding those hopes. This guy could be top 10 in the midseason update or better than that. So 119 minor league games under his belt, six in uh, low A with the Mets in 21. Then he had 38 in low A last year, 63 games in high A last year, and 12 games in double so far. So 119 games. This guy's slashing 317, 383, 522. It's a 905 OPS. So I, I tell you this. I tell you what his offensive numbers are. And then I ask you this question. Is that the first 80 field grade you've ever handed out? Yes. 
So the best hitter or the best defensive outfielder in the history of just baseball's top 100 is, oh, by the way, a 900 OPS guy. This is the Mike Harris starter kit, but I think he could be Mike Harris. That's the thing. So cool. A lot of similarities to Mike Harris. They're almost carbon copies because maybe he doesn't hit the ball as hard, but I would say, you know, it could become that way. He's he's still a year younger, which is which is crazy. Pico Armstrong still just turned twenty one years old. Is having success in Double A. His arm his first is, beer was yeah, literally. His arm is a rocket in center, much like Mike Harris. He hits the ball harder than you'd expect, like Mike Harris. He's extremely aggressive, yet overcomes it with insane swing malleability, meaning he's able to get to pitches up, down, in, out, which is. You can see in that 16 pitch at bat effective on the base paths and he's not going to walk, but he's going to hit. If Pete Grosh, I can cut, cut down on the chase rate a little bit. I think he'd be in great shape, but similar to like I was talking about with some other guys, I think I mentioned this with Ellie De La Cruz. How do you tell a guy that's hitting 306 to swing less? How do you tell a guy that's slugging 551? No, I, I think you're okay with it because even at this point, he's Michael Harris, who just won the NL Rookie of the Year. Yeah, you know, there I, are I Hall worried. of Famers that that didn't make the best swing decisions. Yeah, and this I think guy that, has this God-given ability. Just let him eat. Yeah, let him eat. If something comes up, if he struggles, beautiful thing is, well, no, hey, that 45 percent chase rate, like, cut that down a little bit. Yeah, uh, but for now, who cares? What stands out to me, too, hitting the ball in the air way more now. He was putting on the ground too much last year. He made a little bit of a change. You can see him getting into his back hip way better now. And there's a concerted effort in his load. You can tell that there was a specific thought there to, to do that. Ground ball rate's only 24% so far this year. This dude is lifting the ball in the air. He's already got two home runs, two triples, and two doubles out of his 15 hits. He's slugging, and he's not striking out too much for a 21-year-old, newly turned 21-year-old in double A. Next up, we got 18 Jackson Holiday, shortstop prospect with the Baltimore Orioles. Number one pick last year. Just hit his first high A home run yesterday. He got promoted, yeah, right. got promoted right after a multi home run game in low A. Um, Holiday, now you're seeing why he had so much helium going into this season obviously he was a number one pick number one picks always gonna have helium but he had even more helium than the typical number one pick because of what he was doing on the backfield i think the, the buzz started to really really pick up and how advanced he looked even in his cameo last year where he went straight to low a as a teenager out of high school and put up strong numbers there and held his own at the plate walked didn't strike out now in high a it's going to be a challenge for him i i Definitely think for the 19-year-old prospect, a young 19, it's going to be a challenge. He still has some lower half stuff he needs to iron out. He, he, he leaks out a little bit with the front side, um, can drift from time to time, which I think saps the power a tad because there is potential for above average to plus power. Right now it's you know fringy, but he's still tapping into it. He's got three home runs through his first 16 games. Um, this is a five-tool shortstop potentially here with plus hit, above average to plus power, above average to plus speed, and above average to plus defense. You got a potential five-tool shortstop in Jackson Holiday, which is crazy given the upper-level talent that the Orioles have already right now. 
Yeah, eight games at the complex, 25 games in low A, and at this point, three games with high A Aberdeen. So 36 games down the chute in his minor league career. He's slashing 323, 488, 535. That's a 1024 OPS. He's driven in 26 runs in 36 games. He's walked 42 times, and he struck out 28 times. You can't ask for a better start to a professional career for Jackson Holiday, and like he's one of the very few guys that Jeff Passan is tweeting about getting promoted from low A to high A. Yeah. But yeah, that's right? the kind of intrigue he's got. That's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. And again, if the lower half gets ironed out, I think we could see plus power. Uh, the ground ball rates are a little high because of that lower half situation, but the, the chase rates are minuscule. You mentioned the walks, the on-base percentage, the swinging strike rates extremely low. This is somebody that commands their at-bats better than almost any 19-year-old you're going to find. Left-handed hitting shortstop with five-tool potential and bloodlines, Matt Holiday's son. Uh, it's easy to see why so many people are falling in love with Jackson Holiday already with only a, you know, half a season of professional games under his belt at this point. Maybe actually less than that, a quarter of a season in professional games under his belt. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yes. How many? How much stock do you place in bloodlines? <laughs> Not as much as others, I would say. Like it's a teensy bit, like but like the people that are like Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer, maybe so Drew Jones is for sure a Hall of Famer. No, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really buy that stuff. I, I to me, it's it's five percent in the hundred percent, you know, building of the the profile, maybe maybe eight percent. Like, yeah. I I just can't put much more stock into it than that. It's yeah. I think Dad, it, it gets a little like far. It gets a, it just becomes such an easy almost buzz phrase to, to bring up and a buzz word to bring up. It's just like, Oh, this guy's the son of this guy. So like when I'm trying to make the case, it's like, Oh, well, this is another thing that puts him over the top, you know, but yeah. at the end of the day, like there's a lot more that goes to it. So in, in 25 years when Bobby Witt the third and you know, this random guy are like identical shortstop prospects, but Bobby Witt the third's dad is Bobby Witt jr. And then the other guy's dad is an accountant. That will always it'll always be the bloodlines. It's just the way it is. I okay. it's it's silly. I, I would almost rather like blind test it, not know who they're related to. And then if you really can't decide it's that close, then you use that as like the the you know final, you know, yeah. push them across the finish line kind of thing. Well, I remember that's when Bronny James wanted to wear a number that wasn't twenty three or six, right? He wanted to carve his own path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about that. hard to do. Gets. It's a little hard to do. <laughs> Number 17, Curtis Mead, third baseman, Tampa Bay Rays. And Curtis Mead off to a little bit of a slow start in AAA this year. Uh, not really concerned about it. He had a, a taste of AAA last year and was great for 20 games after also destroying AA pitching for 56 games, 146 WRC plus in AA, 129 WRC plus in AAA. Uh, that was last year. So far this year in 20 games, he's slashing 222, 293, 370. Not striking out egregiously, sub 20% K rate. But, you know, anytime you see a 64 WRC plus from the number 17 prospect in baseball, you know, you, you do kind of look up, you know, and say what's going on. I don't see anything really egregious. I don't see anything standing out. I think it's a little bit of a combination of bad, batted ball luck, just a bit of a slow start for a 22-year-old in triple. Um, but he's not whiffing. Overall looks fine. Uh, the swing decisions could be a little bit better. Uh, I think that might be the only thing, and it's more advanced pitchers maybe you know kind of picking him apart a bit. 
Uh, but I think Curtis Mead's going to hit his, hit his stride here and and have a really nice second half of the season. But I think he'll get going even before that. Yeah, and I think even picking him apart feels a little bit drastic. You know what I mean? Because like the, it's not like he's being totally outmatched by AAA pitching. I think that this is a guy, and we we heard the extension rumors for Mead before his yeah. MLB debut in spring training. I think that this is still a guy that would make sense for that type of thing because yep. we know that the struggles aren't going to last very long. He's such a safe player, man, and he's a big body. He can mash. He can play a decent defense at either of the corners. I, I think that this is one of the safer guys in the top 20. 22 and triple. Um, really yeah. doesn't – there's no rush because the Rays are very covered right now at the big league level. Uh, the, the thing that's been standing out to me with, with Meade is – He's he's been seeing more sliders than ever. And, you know, the scouting reports are going to get better in triple A. And he had some success against sliders in, in the lower levels, but now better located sliders. He's seeing more sliders than fastballs. And he pummeled fastballs last year. He still has pummeled fastballs this year. That's the craziest part. I, I told you the slash line overall against fastballs this year. He's got a 911 OPS. But what's happening is he's seeing less and less and less of them. And now he is seeing sliders more than any other offering so far this year he's one for 22 against sliders so that's where the kind of more experienced pitching kind of picking on him a bit these these guys get the report they command their slot even if it's not an elite slider i got confidence in it i can throw it in any count they're throwing it in any count and you know it's 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 been a bit of a struggle for him i'm not concerned about curtis mead figuring out how to hit sliders a little bit more effectively he'll work that out and i think that's really the difference for him right now it's just the ability to hit sliders we're seeing gunner henderson struggle with that at the big league level uh we're seeing a lot of different prospects struggle with that that are still insanely highly regarded and very productive that's the one thing for mead that's why he's in triple he's going to work through it and he's going to be a very good hitter and a rare blend of potentially above average hit to plus hit and plus power um and the defense has gotten better at third. 100%. Um, we are nearing the hour mark. So I'm thinking we could restructure if you want. Yeah. We could go 16 and 15 in the next episode, 14 to 1. I agree. I think that's the way we do it. And okay. so that'll lead us to Tyler Soderstrom. And then we'll also have Francisco Alvarez. And then we'll call it a day there. Cool. Tyler Soderstrom at 16. First baseman, Oakland A's. You could probably put first base slash catcher. Uh, but... Ultimately, you know, I'm going to put him at what I think he's going to play, and it's it's first base. Uh, the reason why he's still 16, despite that, on this list is because the bat is that special. 21 years old and, and doesn't turn 22 until next season. Uh, so he's, he's going to be 21 for the entirety of this season, and he is already putting up good numbers in AAA. Another guy that I'd like to see walk more, chase rate around 35%, but 85% zone contact Hits the snot out of the ball, 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. I love the swing. The moves are so efficient. He uses the ground so well to tap into plus plus raw power already. He hit a 114 mile per hour bomb, 466 feet off for Brandon Fott. Every time I see an advanced pitcher, like either a journeyman big leaguer or a top pitching prospect against Soderstrom, he battles, man. If he, if he gets a little bit better with his swing decisions, this dude is going to be one of the biggest offensive forces in the minors. I think he can, you know, get by if you want to play him at catcher every once in a while in an emergency, like that emergency third string catcher. Like it's not like he is a disaster of all disasters, 
but he's a first baseman. And I think we're already seeing that he's starting to play a lot more games at first. Um, but again, this bat is, is, is special. Brett Beatty esque, I think is, is, is what it could be with maybe even a little bit more power, uh, which is saying a lot. Yeah, I, I love the point that you bring up when you see a guy that is a journeyman big leaguer or a legit pitching prospect. He like almost elevates his game. I, I think the most competitive guys at the double and triple A level will, will kick it into a new gear when they see a guy that has service. Like having big league service time is something that a lot of people wear loud and proud in the triple A level and the double A level. And I think you see these quote unquote golden ticket prospects. Like we're talking about a first round pick. They want to prove it against guys that have been there. So they say, yep. this is elevated competition. Let me up my game. And and that is the sign. I think that there's a serious competitive fire in Tyler Soderstrom. If he is elevating his game against guys that have service, like again, bringing up Priester again, I was talking to him about, you know, facing Joey Votto and he was like, that was really cool. But like, even seeing a guy like Nick Senzel and Michael Ciani, we don't view those guys in a top 100 light, but he views them in the way that he needs to elevate his game because Nick Senzel is a guy on a big league rehab assignment and Ciani is a guy that has big league service time. So I'm sure when Tyler Soderstrom sees a quadruple A reliever, the ones that we are branded, he sees I'm facing a big leaguer. I'm going to prove that I'm better than that big leaguer. And, and that's kind of like, it's almost a badge. If you have service time, it's a badge and it's a barometer for success too. where am I at? And it's funny. We talking about Forrest Whitley. He doesn't have service time, but he has looked great. Really, really good with the Astros so far this year. He took Whitley deep uh, mentioned Brandon fought. He's taken uh, Tommy Henry. He hit a bomb off of like, he has some, some really good at bats and some of his most impressive hits this year extra base hits are against guys with service time. Um, So I think that kind of backs that up again. He's 21 years old. uh, And I I think this is going to be the, I think he's going to have that Matt Olson type arc offensively where so cool 35, 40 homers is in the tank. I really think it's in there um, as he irons out the approach a little bit more, but this swing plays. This is just one of my favorite swings in the minor leagues. He was your first week pick to be minor league hitter of the year. Yeah. And if the A's manipulate at the beginning of next year, I think he can still be pre-arb when the team moves to Vegas. So this is one of those like building blocks that Oakland has moving forward. And and I'm cool with him spending most of the year in triple. Just just go off, <laughs> you know, put up good numbers and then maybe get the, the September call up. Um this is somebody that you know, I want to see him get really comfortable at tapping into his power in games because this is special power. For this sure. is 70 great power. And I want to see him get comfortable at consistently tapping into that in games. He's going to strike out a little bit. I think that'll get better as he hones in on the approach, because again, the 85% zone contact is pretty darn good for a guy of his power and, and of the kind of swing that he has, which generates lift and, and just carry like very few offensive prospects in the minor leagues yeah speaking of lift and carry here's another guy that does it as well as anybody uh francisco alvarez to wrap up the episode catching prospect new york mets he's up with the big league team we've talked about the situation they're starting to play him a little bit more consistently at least from what i've seen which is good the defense has improved a ton and i think that's a testament to his work ethic and and the makeup there but he's just not quite ready for the big league level. We've talked about that. That's one that we've got out in front of. We can't say it's the hindsight. Never mind. He shouldn't be up there thing. Like we've said that from before. High fastballs have chewed him up. 
And, you know, that's the scouting report. And they've been using those on him in triple. They're using it on him at the big league level. Uh, but Alvarez, he still will get his. He'll still pound the mistakes if you leave it there. He hit his first home run of the year the other day. Um, the the kind of power that he offers as a 21-year-old also, by the way, same age as Tyler Soderstrom, 21 years old. The kind of power that he has uh, with the improvements defensively and everything that he brings to the table, his upside is one of the best catchers in baseball. Uh, but the hit tool looking more like a 40 than a 50, um, you know, does highlight some of the risk. But man, even if he struggles all year long, he's 21 years old and he has a track record of hitting as many home runs as any catching prospect we've seen in the minor leagues in, in some time. But he had 24 home runs in 2021. He had 27 home runs in 2022, 28 home runs in 2022. If you had the one in the big leagues. Yeah. This guy hits bombs. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the more fun prospects in the game. Like, does that mean best prospects in the game? Uh, yes and no. Like, yes, meaning he's certainly top 15. But, you know, you, you see some outlets. I think Pipeline has him at three right now. Yeah. Three feels really aggressive because we think that, you know, th- there are some, like, better young catchers than Francisco Alvarez. Like, I don't know. We we were pretty dead set and you were pretty dead set on Gabby Moreno being a better prospect than Francisco Alvarez last year. And, and I think yeah. that that is true. And you see that right away um, because Alvarez has a much lower floor than yeah. Moreno does. But this dude, like I can see the chain popping in New York going crazy for this guy when he hits his fifth homer in five games. Um, yeah. So I, I think that there is so much fun to dream on with Francisco Alvarez. The, the trend of this episode has kind of been like concern, right? Because a lot of these guys are guys that have been promoted. Yeah. Concern level for Francisco Alvarez has got to be near the bottom, right? I mean, it, for me, it's, it's, it might be, I think it's slightly above Tovar, well below Casas. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Tovar, because Alvarez is not like, a smooth, lean athlete defensively. Like he's not going to be one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. Tovar is going to be one of the better defensive shortstops in baseball. I think because you can rely on that bedrock of defense with Tovar, I'm less concerned about Tovar. But Alvarez, he's always going to whiff. Like he's going to be 35 years old and he's going to whiff. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not worried about the rough start because like you're going to ride the highs and endure the lows for the entirety and- of his career. 21 years old. They're yeah. spinning the hell out of him right now. He's yeah. going to learn. He's going to work through it. He's seen sliders 41% of the time. I haven't seen many guys get sliders. Like, like that's Javi Baez type. Like they're giving it to him that much. And he's chasing him 41% of the time. He's learning how to recognize big league and triple A sliders. That's, that is a lot for a power hitting 21 year old catcher who is, uh, I was going to say, who's a catcher. So like it, it, there's a lot on his plate right now. And I think he's going to work it all out. And and clearly the Mets feel like he can handle the adversity at the big league level. And clearly they feel like he can help them at the big league level. So sure. Alvarez, wide range of outcomes. But I, I feel good about, at the very least, you know, a good chance of him running into enough baseballs to be a very good power hitting catcher that has improved enough to be a solid defensive catcher as well. If the hit tool is average, he's one of the best catchers in baseball. So that's the fun part about it. Yes. Any final thoughts, Jack, before we call it a week? It was an interesting group of 11 that we walked through today, I think. And we spent a good bit of time on like Gavin Williams and, and on Outman and all those guys at the beginning. But uh, yeah, like the 
the motif of the episode, I feel like, was we've got young stars that are struggling. And it was, yeah. you know, how how hard are you pressing the panic button? And yeah. like while it's important to do, it's not the most fun thing to do. And as we no. get to walk through 14 to one next time, I think that's going to be like where we retap into the fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um and it also shows you like most of these guys struggle when they come up. Uh, and that's yeah, just like, welcome. It's, it's your welcome to the show moment. Like, Hey, yeah. you might suck for two weeks. Yep. It might, it might just happen, uh, but that'll do it for this episode. I, I do think the next 14 will be a lot more positive, but you know, you got to highlight what you got to highlight here. And at the end of the day, I think you and I don't feel much different than we felt going into this year as these guys are some of the top prospects in baseball and even with a big league struggle, that doesn't change much, uh, and and they'd still be right around the same range uh, if we did the list over right now. And that's why they're here. So uh, hopefully they can work it out. That's what comes with the territory. And we will be talking top 14 prospects with you on Monday's episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.